Hello and welcome to another episode of Gas Giants. Today, we are going to be examining um, a novel by John Updike, Rabbit is Rich. And I think this is one that uh, I've been looking forward to and you haven't, Tom. Correct. <laughs> yeah, somehow, I don't know how this is going to work, but somehow we're going to have to get through this. It's, uh, it's the kind of book that I, makes me want to throw it against the wall. In fact, I do. Well, I don't, yeah. You know. Okay, well, maybe we'll get to that point later on. But um, for the moment, as always, uh, I suppose we'd better start out with... Uh, the thing is, I've kind of done the, the origin story of this, in a way. Um, I mean, I uh, as a kid, I used to, uh, used to listen to this radio show on, uh, on Radio 3 on Saturday, which was the, the, the classical music channel. You know, but on Saturday they had a show called Jazz Record Requests, where people would write in and request records. And uh, so I'd, I'd usually sit there uh, with a cassette loaded into the into the uh, tape deck and uh, my finger on the pause and record button uh, to uh, to tape anything that sounded like it might be promising. And uh, right after this program, there was a, a show called Critics Forum. And sometimes I would actually just carry on and listen to Critics Forum as well. And I heard the discussion of this book and uh, somehow got, I don't know why, but got curious about it and went out and bought it. Mm, there um, you go. That explains everything, doesn't it? You're listening to critics. That's the mistake. Mm. Impressed by critics. Well, the idea that anybody was actually uh, sitting down and discussing a book back then was uh, was was quite something. It was. Yeah, it was. It was. Nobody did that on TV. Are you sure? You know, it's completely different. Completely different in Germany. In Germany, for instance, you've got uh, you've got TV programs where people actually sit and discuss the books that have just come out. I, You'd never get that that on prime time TV in Britain. Uh, we used to. Literary discussions were quite common. Yeah. 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 I found them generally pretty boring, but. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Be that as it may, this was the one that uh, that uh, that that got hold of my interest, and uh, this was the that was the one that drew me to this book. And uh, I was pretty much blown away at the time by uh, the 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 style of the writing, the depth of the interior monologues, and. Uh, the uh, actually quite fast-moving plot, but it's not really interior monologues, is it? Um, I mean, not like not like you know, last chapter of Ulysses. It's it's more like uh, a description descriptions of what people are thinking. I don't know. There's um, there's a couple of uh, I can point to a couple of them. They, they usually happen when Harry's out jogging. Okay. He starts going through stuff in his head, which, of course, does tend to happen if you're doing physical well, exercise. To be clear, I, I have to, uh, which should say up front, I refuse to read more than um, you know 10% into this book. It's, it's the kind of book that's so infuriating. I go, no, I've got better things to do. And it actu it's actually worse than that. It's not just the opportunity cost. It's that I, I, I feel like this is actually bad for me. Uh, it's making the universe worse that I read it. So, yeah, I can't... Com yeah, maybe there is dialogue. But yes, there is a very, very close examination of the inside of Harry Angstrom's yeah. thoughts. Yes. Yeah. Which, um, to, to, to me, at that exact point in my, in my life, I found... Uh, I found really quite quite fascinating this this uh, this uh, examination of the interior monologue. So this point in your life was young. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I have read and reread this book probably more than I think anything else that I've uh, that I've uh, that I've schlepped around with me. I'm one of these people. I do actually reread books. 
but um, this sense, is one that I've... Sorry? That sort of adds up for you, doesn't that? Yeah. Why? Well, the the attachment to the the things that uh, that moved you when you were in that age range that's a that's that's been a, a consistent thing that we've seen th- when we do these podcasts isn't that huh. as a strong attachment to and and one of the ways that i feel like we're different from each other is that i've got a often have de- demonstrated a a strong desire to get rid of things from my life and uh-huh. find something else it's just been in my Ah. Kind of consistent pattern in my nature. Although I think uh, why it keeps happening with this book is because um, so much of this book is about the passing of time and coming to terms with the passing of time. And uh, mortality and uh, and life proceeding and all this kind of stuff. So, And I, I think that uh, obviously viewed from... Uh, from different ages, it, it looks the perspective looks completely different. But um, I would like to uh, like to make a case for because uh, I mean I've uh, sort of become aware of the fact that Updike is kind of going a little bit out of fashion these days, and so I thought it was uh, it was maybe the time to to make the case for why you should read this book more than uh, anything else by Updike and why it is still relevant and why it is why it actually explains stuff about where we are and how we got here. Well, you can give it a go. So, uh, for those of you who've, um, and this is, uh, this is for people who, who really probably haven't ever picked up an Updike book or don't even know who he is or anything, uh, Rabbit is Rich uh, came out in i think 1981 it's one of a series of books which follow uh, well more or less the same characters but the same principal protagonist certainly through different stages of his life rabbit run the first book came out in 1960 i think 1961 1961 then Rabbit is Rich came out in 1981, and uh, Rabbit is Rest, uh, Rest came out in 1990. This was only finally wrapped up by um, what's, I suppose we could describe as a novella called Rabbit Remembered in 2001, because, of course, uh, Harry Rabbit Angstrom dies at the end of Rabbit at Rest. So, um, Rabbit Remembered is a short, short novella which basically shows what happened to all of the other people around him and uh, how, how certain things have resolved themselves. It's uh, the entire um, series of books is kind of seen as an emotional history of a certain, certain kind of America. From the from the beginning of the sixties right up until the end of the century, I suppose you could say. But uh, one of the things that f- that has always fascinated me about this book is the way that you could pick up this book, which is the third in a series, and read it on its own. And I mean, obviously, I was interested enough enough to read all of the other books. This book on its own can can actually stands alone without too many problems so uh i suppose it might be an idea now to dive into a basic summary before uh, before things get any any weirder there we are i'm just trying to minimize this uh hold on god i'm not very good at this am i no i know um i've i read it Many years ago, Red Rabbit is Rich, and then had another go because you wanted to to do it here, and then uh-huh. just flat refused after about I don't know fifty pages or something. And I can't remember if I read the whole thing the first time around. I just it was that long, long ago, but I did um, uh, <laughs> read the marvelously short 
uh, plot summary that they put on Wikipedia. Somebody put on Wikipedia. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, it's one paragraph. It's it, plot summaries on Wikipedia are often quite long. And this one not. And yeah, well, I think it's sufficient. You know. Okay. Well, why don't why do we dig it up and uh, and sort of kibitz our way through it then? Oh, I mean, there's, that might be the simplest way of doing it. You know, in terms of what happens in this book, it's it confirmed what I what I what I thought was was fairly clear from from reading the first ten percent. Not yeah, very a paragraph. Much. Well what it says here in this third novel of Rad Updike's Rabbit series examines the life of uh, Harry Rabbit Angstrom, a one time high school basketball star who has reached a paunchy middle age without relocating from Brewer, Pennsylvania. <laughs> The poor fictional city of his birth. Harry and Janice, his wife of 22 years, live comfortably, having inherited her late father's Toyota dealership. He is indeed rich, but Harry's persistent problems, his wife's drinking, his troubled son's schemes, his libido, and spectres from his past complicate life. Having achieved in an opulent lifestyle that would have embarrassed his working-class parents, Harry is not greedy, but neither if he, is he ever quite satisfied. Harry has grown smitten with the country club friend's young wife. He worries about Nelson, his indecisive, indecisive son, a student at Kent State University. Throughout the book, Harry wonders whether his former lover Ruth ever gave birth to their illegitimate daughter. Well, I think that's a sort of massive oversimplification, frankly. <sighs> I mean, the... Um, <coughs> the book opens with a, with a wonderful passage where he and... Um, uh, a uh, another Toyota salesman, um, Charlie Stavros, uh, are standing, uh, looking out the windows of the Toyota dealership, uh, wondering, you know, if anybody's going to come in before it's time to shut up shop. Uh, it it actually so the book opens with a kind of interior monologue of, of Harry's, where he's, he's wondering about the, uh, the he's worried about the gas prices. Yes, it does confirm what I was uh, thinking earlier on, that in a manner of speaking, nothing really happens as well. It's, it's, we start off with uh, you know, this domestic life situation. We can expect uh, the usual sorts of dramas uh-huh. uh, to sort of play out. The, the point not really being exactly what those dramas are, the point being how people relate to each other and how they think about each other, mm-hmm. what they're, what, what are their, you know, what are their choices in these various situations and what that says about them. I, it seems to me that Updike's prose yes. clearly directs us towards those, those points. So in, in a sense, it is sort of like, yes, an awful lot of fairly ordinary, not necessarily interesting from a novel point of mm. view stuff happens. It depends, I guess, what, kinds of things that interest you but so what so what is the what is the point yeah well uh there's a there's a a sentence here which kind of um from later on in the book uh where the the Harry and Janice are discussing Nelson, and they say uh, what's he got to be scared of the same thing you were scared of at his age life life too much of it and not enough. The fear that it will end someday and the fear that some that, that tomorrow will be the same as yesterday. Right. So actually if you if you look at the uh, the uh, if you follow the, the, the calendar of this book, it's uh it's a year, more or less. I mean it kind of ends at Christmas uh or it ends just after Christmas, it ends in January. It sort of begins in uh, kind of in spring. No, I thought they were already hanging out at the outdoors at the country club in the afternoon, getting drunk at the beginning of the book. Yeah. yeah okay. So it starts in April. It ends 
Uh, kind of yeah. whenever the Super Bowl is. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but after Christmas, sometime in January. And so uh, time is one of the one of the big sort of uh, things of this book, the passage of time, and coming to terms with the passage of time, as I said. Uh, and there's there's this um, you get this wonderful another great Updike sentence because he really knows how to use rhythm. This man, uh, the sentence that ends the book which is uh, the moment when he's sitting in the den of his new house with the TV on uh, and his daughter-in-law creeps in and puts his granddaughter into his lap. And oh, I'm going to God, I'm getting old. I tell you what passage of time. I need glasses these days. Here we go. He assumes Prue is with them, but the footsteps mingling on the ceiling are not that many, and Teresa, which is Prue's real name, Teresa comes softly down the one step into his den and deposits into his lap what he has been waiting for. Oblong, cocooned little visitor, the baby shows her profile blindly in the shuddering flashes of colour jerking from the Sony. The tiny, stitchless seam the closed eyelid aslant. Lips bubbled forward beneath the world nose as if in delicate disdain. She knows she's good. You can feel in the curve of the cranium she's feminine. That shows from the first day. Through all this she has pushed to be here, in his lap, his hands, a real presence hardly weighing anything but alive. Fortune's hostage, heart's desire, a granddaughter, his, another nail in his coffin, his. That is yeah, fantastic um, Most of writing. the stuff that I uh, read recently was fairly straightforward language. Oh, it always is straightforward language. It's the, it's the rhythm that makes it special. It's not as grand uh, as that. Uh, um, and... You know, it's 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 a it's a fairly transparent and neutral language, mostly. Uh, I thought it is, however. Um, I think the I think Harry's name Angstrom is is just great because it describes the minute detail <laughs> uh, that that gets described at length. You know, we are zooming in and spend great deals of time mm. uh, with uh, with moments and. This huh. interests me because what what we're often witnessing is 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 a character who is being he's being described by Updike in this text for us to enjoy as basically repellent, and I'm I'm one. It, this is the this is this is kind of my big problem. What's the point of that? And hmm. um, I mean, I've had this problem with some other writers, like Zadie Smith, for example. I read White Teeth. I got through the whole thing, uh -huh. and I tried to start another one, thinking, uh -huh. "Oh, this might be bad." This is the big problem, right? The the hegemonic power of the of hmm. the critics to say what's a what, who are the good writers? You know, the uh, you know the ones that we should read if we're if we're going to be uh, hmm. you know if we're going to be to be able to sound like we're educated people and, and, and cultured people at, at dinner parties and cheese and wine events. The, oh. there are, there are these, these, these writers we're supposed to yeah. read and supposed to like. And when a writer is, is like, for example, in, in white teeth, you know, you've got the entire cast mm. of characters are uh, despicable in their own various ways and the core of the point of the the novel seems to be to bring out the worst in them and so what's that for mm -hmm. why why are we doing this is this kind of thing entertaining for me or is it I, well yes mm. i mean i'm supposed to be entertained when i'm reading a novel don't i um take take a slightly different uh, angle on this um 
One of the things that we've talked about here on mm. the podcast before is this this thing that I, that I think of as a Euro art movies, right? They're a Euro art movie, the kind of thing that gets, you know, gets funding from the, from, you know, subsidies from, you know, from, from the, from the Stiftungs and the, and the government, mm -hmm. you know, support things. Yep. Um, they, they have to have a certain intellectual quality to them or the critics won't like them. Uh, because there's a community mm -hmm. of, of critics for Euro art movies mm -hmm. that, that decide what's good and bad and what qualifies. Yeah. And, and there is an audience okay. for them. Now, what yeah. happens when the subject of the movie uh -huh. is a bunch of people who would never go to an art, never watch an, an, a Euro art movie? Now, this sets up an interesting question for... Mm -hmm me the audience is we've got we've got writers and producers yeah. we've got the supply side you know the the creators of this movie we got the critics that decide that it's a, it's a good uh -huh. one and we got the audience and they all belong to a different social class from those that are being presented in the movie and if the movie is expressing condescension to the characters because of their uh -huh class and flaws and yeah. whatever what am i to make of that it's been a problem that's uh, that's come up before for well, example we talk I, I i'm sorry i do not do not notice the the uh, the turn of condes condescension here at all oh it, it's fairly apparent to me the i mean mm. harry harry's presented as um as an uh, as a person with with no education no no culture no intelligent thought He's mostly thinking about money and business and his golf oh. swing and sex, uh, and, oh. you know, and, and how he's going to have to deal with uh, the women in his life and things like that. He's hmm. he, he's at various turns. I mean, in the early part of the book, we talked about this. He talked it, it, it presents him as, you know, we've got it, it goes through what happened when he became uh, part owner and I guess manager mm -hmm. of the of the dealership. Yeah, uh, and this was his father-in-law's death. Mm -hmm. And you no, know, it describes with with his his indifference to the death of this man and his oh indifference yeah, that's, that's amazing and his indifference to the death to to the uh, to the emotional world to the grief uh, that his wife went through at the mm. time. He's got this description of, uh, I think it was Prince Charming that had died. Said, no, like, it said you'd think it was a combination of Moses and Prince Valiant, Valiant Prince just bit the dust. Right. A and, rabbit looks down and notices that his father-in-law's hair has been parted wrong yeah. and feels and, nothing, and then says the great thing about the dead is that they make way for you. Yes. Right. Yeah. In, in other words, we've got, we've got somebody who here is, is, is completely cold and unfeeling towards the death of his uh his wife's father um and 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 is actually expresses or the book expresses um uh rabbit's contempt for his wife to the and and his wife's mother to uh mm. the way they reacted to uh this in uh, unimportant uh, natural progress mm. of life you know i mean it's it makes him yeah. despicable at um, the same time, no, and the, well, and the way on, he, on, the way on, he, no, no. yeah, there's a and sentence later in the book which says that he, um, you know, talking of which, uh, which describes the particular kind of, uh, well, I suppose you can call it ignorance if you want to be quite so damning, yeah, sure. where he says that uh, he says he loves nature but knows the name doesn't know the name of anything in it, mm -hmm. you know, which is a but yeah, a very uh, very interesting uh, qualification and there. describes and describes that uh you know he's he's his knowledge of history uh, mm. as being you know just a few dates and faces uh, yes um uh, you know i 
I can't help but, you know, we've got this, we've got, thankfully, you know, we got a, a very nice way of understanding this uh, provided by Hillary Clinton a few years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's what the, the liberal class considers as uh, a member of the basket of deplorables. You know, he's a petty bourgeois, um, as you mm-hmm. said, nouveau riche, let's use all the French, <laughs> why not? Um, uh, a boor, a sexist, you know, a, a lecherous old man, um, and... Mm-hmm. And ultimately, not the kind of person that anybody who reads the New Yorker would want to have to spend much time with. Hmm. Although um, I think uh, going for the for the def- for the whole uh, thing about these series of books being an emotional history of a, of a certain kind of America. Uh, there's this uh, there's this thing because of course Rabbit's life in the previous two books has been very very complicated and very tumultuous, and uh, in the book that uh, Rabbit Redux that uh, that preceded this, he was caught up in all kinds of politics and racial politics and stuff like that, and um, I think there's maybe a, a sense. In this book, that um, he wants a rest from all of that. He wants that to just stop. I mean, I'm uh, I'm seeing this uh, a lot uh, in our current times, which are all very, very, you know, have their complications and their their upheavals and everything. And uh, certainly in in Britain, um, post. Brexit and post all of the other, uh, you know, the the string of elections that we had and everything, there was a, a desire to make politics stop. You know, couldn't it just all stop? Why do I have to get involved in it? Why do I have to worry about it? Amongst a, a lot of people. Well, yeah, um, yeah, and so I think a, that's know, that's so, kind yeah. of what's being shown here. Sure, let's, is that let's have a he would like instead. to not have to think about all of this stuff he'd like to not have to worry about it he, you know yeah and but if that not- is because one of the themes of this book is that is it is predicting what's coming next it's predicting the rise of neoliberalism uh yes it it, it i mean even it even very early on uh, you know, yeah. you've got 1981. You've got, you've clearly got the. Oh, you see, these kinds of things did start earlier in the U.S. It's like yeah. a, a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, modern history is is sort of set is done first in the U.S. and then it comes to yeah. Europe later. But the, yeah, it's it's so Thatcher created a uh, a new class within the British class system. Okay, right? yeah, you know, it was a. She was sort of like defiantly anti-intellectual herself, and uh, she wanted. You know, we think of it in terms of there were there were people who who, who rented uh, council housing in the past, and now they own a former council mm. house or an apartment yeah. in a former council house, and you know that gives them the values therefore of the middle class, and they're going to vote conservative now because you know that's that's who's going to look after those values, and therefore. Uh, Labour had to turn into another right-wing party. So you got, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and yeah. Then, well, uh, well, and, and you know, look at this. Like, just like that. You know, if you think about what yeah. it, how it turned out in the early two thousands in the UK, uh, it was it was all about chavs at that time, right? And uh, what made these people so obnoxious to the to the traditional middle class was the fact that mm-hmm. they've got money to do things. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, exactly. You know, the, the, yeah. There's nothing quite so, uh, quite so. I mean, it, it's the same here now. It, you know, to the um, to the hegemonic uh, liberals, um, the you know the, the, the determined culture here. You know, and, and a small business owner is uh, who, who votes Trump is the worst kind of person. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. In a sense, you can you can you can see uh, the. The events in this book, kind of how they pave the way to all of that. There's the oil crisis. There's uh, there's the the uh, the lack of confidence in in money. Yeah. And the move to precious metals. Yes. And stuff like, and then eventually to real estate. Yes. And uh, that's that's all you know. That's that's all paving the way for what's for what's coming next. 
Yeah, I mean, it is a very, very actually, it predicts quite a lot. There's even a good case to be made uh, that um, because one of the one of the themes that keeps coming up in the book is that uh, is that you know the generation before worked and saved and uh, and you know scrimped and saved and thought about their investments and didn't take risks and uh, now people have lost all faith in money so they're either uh if they're investing they're investing in stuff like property or precious metals or they're deciding just to spend it and so uh nelson in a way uh one of the things that goes on between him and his father is that uh nelson being from the younger generation kind of understands the whole spend it um well, thing in a different Rabbit way. is saying the same thing to to the younger yeah. generation at the, uh, in that conversation. He's he's giving he's giving these yes. car shoppers advice about yeah. uh, oh yes you know your money if you money in the bank is just going to burn away. Uh, but, but if you if inflation. you buy a Toyota, you're turning your dollars into, into yen. yen. Or the other way <laughs> the other way he describes it is uh, you're better off with with good quality goods than yeah. with money. <laughs> yeah, but um, the. Uh, the thing is that uh, that Nelson's deal with the uh, with with the convertibles is actually kind of a little bit in the in the direction of retrofuturism, isn't it? Oh, I don't want to have to try and think about that. I want to. I, no, I, I, I. The. I think it's fairly clear that the 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 the, the defining characteristic that we get of Harry right from the beginning is mm. he's he's sort of like everything that's. Uh, that's contemptible about uh, this the, this this class. Um, he's he's like almost like an archetype of it. It this this bothers me a good deal about the book, mm. and it, you know it bothered me about Rabbit Run that that he was presented yeah. as such a coward, such a weakling, such a loser, um, and you know. It, I thought you it, seem to have got a good deal of. Hatred out of this book, uh, out of this book that Updike has for his protagonist, which I never felt. Uh, I, I, there is a this book has sold well. They've all sold well. People think people have at least. I don't know. You say this might be going. He might be going out of fashion. Think he's a great writer, but the people who write books like this, critique them, and read them are. Yeah. Uh, they define themselves necessarily as a certain class. And when we, as a, well, come on, it's, it, when I was young and wanted to be um, more cultured and wanted to think of myself as more cultured, I felt that it, this was a, a social status thing that, that seemed important somehow uh, to not seem ignorant about things like literature. You know, you, you have to go and do your, do the work. Well, and, I don't know. And this is I something mean, that's handed down hegemonically. I mean, it just it it it's, it it comes from you know there there's right and there's wrong here, and it, and it's that's something that's somehow determined from on high. And me as a you know, maybe an eighteen year old or a twenty five year old or whatever it is, uh, I, huh. I just have to I have to accept that. But it didn't work out. Well, hang on a minute, because uh, okay. Um, Updike, like like I said, is is maybe going a bit out of fashion at the moment. There's also a lot of the the attitudes haven't, uh, haven't translated well into uh, you know current the new, the new hegemonic narratives. Oh God, if you insist. Yes, but all right. Well, don't they exist? Yeah. Yes. Aren't they, they important? Oh yeah. My point is right. That if I pick up a book by Jonathan Franzen or Paul Auster, I don't I don't recognise anybody in there. Mm-hmm. They write these two dimensional characters that don't mean anything to me at all. Okay. But I know a whole load of people who are just like Harry Angstrom. You do? Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I recognise recognise Harry Angstrom very very easily, and a lot of the lot of the other people who walk through the pages of that book. Yes, I sort of feel like I recognise them from, uh, yeah, probably from the screen. 
but I don't think I, I've known people like that. No, I, actually, this is one of these books. I, I think there has actually maybe been an attempt to film it. I can't imagine what that would be like. Oh, no, it doesn't sound really good to me. There was a, an attempt to, uh, well, not an attempt, it's been done, um, and I'll try and find this and put this on the Substack page. Uh, there was a Radio 4 radio play version of the book. Hmm. I can't, oh, that might work, I don't know. It might go on a Certainly, bit. Certainly, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, well, it might go on a bit, but then you'd be able to listen to the sheer music of the prose. <sighs> Well, Which is worth to listening to. <laughs> because the, the yeah, um, I mean, it, it, it must, it, that must be a problem, being Updike, when you can write as well as that. Oh, a problem. Yeah. Uh, well, let, let, me, let me give you an example. There's a, there's a book by Updike called uh, A Month of Sundays. Mm-hmm. Um... Which is uh, basically about a disgraced minister of religion who's sent away to some kind of rehabilitation um, centre after being caught shagging all his parishioners. A fairly typical sort of Opdyke setup. And um, as part of his uh, part of his uh, penance or his recuperation or his therapy or something, he has to uh, lock himself in a cell for three hours every morning and uh, write about what happened and why it was wrong and what he thinks, of, you know, what he thinks he should have done differently or, or, you know, how, how he should, how he should be, how he should attempt to atone for his sins, basically. And the, uh, the book, the, the title, A Month of Sundays, is because the protagonist uh, decides that this is just like writing a sermon, uh, but of doing it every day. Rather like the, uh, the series of sermons that we've been uh, listening to from, uh, what's that, uh, that Scottish political? Contour Radio. Uh, Contour Radio, yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like that. I know you're a big friend of sermons, but uh, I'm trying to get back into them. You know, I just uh, as somebody that dislikes most religion, it's a bit of a problem. Yeah, but the uh, but the echoes of it are are in there. I know it's uh, well. I mean, three hours for a sermon is long, though. Okay, but to actually write a sermon, to to produce a finished text. Of you know fifteen hundred words or something that would that would take you that would take you three hours. Maybe. You'd be doing well to to knock it all out and finish it off in three hours. But um, anyway, that's the framework of the book and the sheer Mozartian ability that's coming out of this. I mean the 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 sort of you know the plot's not fantastic and you can kind of see where it's all heading and stuff like this but but just the it honestly feels like he sat down for three hours a day and wrote the book in a month just because of the sheer sort of ability to string words together yeah that's i i don't well and that must be a very difficult trap not to fall into well it is rather too long don't you think actually no that's the that's the incredible thing. It it's a thick book, but it's all the events. It's paced well. It you know the one event comes after another. It all it's all strung together so carefully. Hmm. I was kind of wondering how much editing it had had because it all seems so organic. The other the other point. I, I'm not sure how a. Uh, how terrible a thing it is to have great skill uh, at writing. Um, I'm sure, I need to feel much sympathy for Archdeck for that point. Not that he's maybe going to I've be expressed able to myself now, wrongly. What I what I mean is that it must be um, a it must be a, 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 an easy temptation to let that ability run away with itself. Well, some some critics, including. I think it was Martin Amos, um, did level that one at him. Yeah. But um, the, the thing is that sometimes uh, 
passages which uh, passage, passages of prose which shift speeds or, or actually uh, change atmospheres can get buried a little bit under the sheer weight of the of the brilliance. I mean, can I just read you another very short passage here because it's um, it's so well done. Basically, what's happening here is. Um, Harry has decided that uh, that what he wants to do most is move out of uh, of Janice's parents' house and buy something else. And he's sort of thinking about how he's actually going to going to break the subject to her. And uh, of course, the thing is, if you if you actually if you're plotting to do something like that and you're living in your mother-in-law's house, then actually getting a private moment to discuss this with your wife is, is going to be quite difficult. If you do it at home. You know? So, we've got to get out of here, Harry says hoarsely to Janice in their bedroom some days later on the eve of Prue's return from her work of grace in the hospital. For a week of grace in the hospital, sorry. It is night. The copper beach, stripped of its leaves and clamorous pods, admits more streetlight into their room than in summer. One or two of the panes in the window on the side, nearer the street, the side where rabbit sleeps, hold imperfections, patches of waviness or elongated bubbles, scarcely visible to the eye of day, but which at night hurl onto the far wall with its moth-like shadows of medallion pattern, dramatic amplifications, the tint of each pane also heightened in the enlargement so that an effect of stained glass haunts the area above Janice's jumbled mahogany dresser descended from the kroners beside the four-panelled door that locks out the world. Ten years of habitancy... In the minutes or hours between when the bedside lights are, lights are extinguished and sleep is achieved, have borne these luminous rectangles into Harry's brain as precious entities, diffuse jewels pressed from the air, presences whose company he will miss if he leaves this room. He must leave it intermixed with the abstract patterns the imperfect panes project are the unquiet shadows of the beech branches as they shudder and sway in the cold outside so you see that is um that's uh, you could you could write a sort of musical interlude that would you know Tell the tell the the viewer of of a movie what was going to come up next, that would that would have that kind of atmosphere. It's uh it is wonderful how it uh, there's this simple scene of the pair of them lying in bed, and just getting ready to talk before they drift off to sleep. The uh, this this feeling of of unease and maybe even faint menace is transmitted by that short I, I, passage of prose. I got the more the feeling of familiarity and the comfort of that familiarity. Ah, yeah. Um, it actually reminded me a little bit of a uh, a memory that I have from um, my, when I was very young as a child visiting my uh -huh. grandparents' house. Um, the room that I slept in when we visited had a particular aspect to uh, the street outside, uh, which mm -hmm. had, uh, you, know, it, you know, it had real, it had traffic on it. So it went, it was the kind of road that goes somewhere as opposed to just services yeah. the houses. And yeah. um, the way that the blinds or curtains, I can't remember, worked, the, when the cars moved across, they, 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 they they produced a particular pattern of light on the ceiling uh -huh. yeah. that moved. Yeah. And this was initially very mysterious to me, and I had to get a parent to explain what was going on. Um, oh. and, and, and then became sort of a, uh, a hypnotic thing. Not, yeah. well, maybe not, maybe not quite hypnotic, but it was... It was in that period bit just before going to sleep, but also so strange relative to uh, what I was used to at home. 
Mm. Uh, didn't have anything like that going on. It just had these weird patterns of light that move. And each one of them was approximately the same. You know, the way that this it appeared and then accelerated and moved and disappeared. Um, just mm. to do with the geometry of the optics. Yeah. But the, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, it became a fascination. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of what it evoked for me listening to to that little mm. passage there. Oh, uh, and it's a, you know, it's not necessarily, I guess for me at first it was a bit menacing, but in, in my memory it's just oh. a, you know, a very particular thing, a very, you know, very peculiar to that situation. You know, and, and, and you know, the, the specifics of a, of a given bedroom do become very mm. deeply ingrained, of course, if it's your bedroom. Yeah. <sighs> well. Oh, sorry, I seem to have run into a cul-de-sac here. <laughs> yeah, well, we we're talking about streets, weren't we? Yeah, the no, I, I, I have this, um, this sense of like I, I, I do with some. I didn't shall actually get as far as mentioning this. We were talking about movies mm. when, when, when you're art movies, like, like for example, this was so, the same thing that put me off when trying to watch Rimini. Uh, one of the, uh, mm. one of the factors here is like, here's our main, our main character here. The uh, the old crooner, mm. uh, and the kind of he's he's not the kind of person that would watch a movie like that, and one wonders. Okay, so we, you know, the kind of person who does go and watch Euro art movies, uh, get to you know explore this character in all his multitudinous defects and repulsiveness. What's really going on there? It seems uh, you, like you think it's exploitative. I, I, yes, and I think it seems like class condescension as well. Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't. I know you have, don't. I don't get that feeling from this. Um, it, but it, it's it, it's what it's what happens with me. And as I said, like oh, uh, you know, okay. Zadie Smith, it was the same uh, same kind of thing. It's, um, it's, it's something a bit. Well, then again, you know, if you actually come from, uh. These, if you if you come from the middle of the of these people, if you're writing about them, then you're just writing about what's going on in in your life. But, but or Updike what, moved, what did moved, go on in your life? But Updike, you know what I mean? Very, because he's he's from Shillington, Pennsylvania. Yes, he's but from he moved very town, quickly. Yes, but he moved very quickly into the educated classes, didn't he? I mean, he went straight to uh, Harvard, then he went to Oxford, then he went to New York to write for the New Yorker. Mm hmm. But he's still from there. He's from there. I mean, yes. you know, he he knows the, the these kind of places the, that he that I'm he knows. I what it, I gave this uh, gave this book to uh, to one of my colleagues from the orchestra who's from Pennsylvania, and uh, you know, it, she she read it and uh, and recognized immediately a lot of the stuff that he was talking about and sure. uh, the kind of places. So. Um, you know, I don't know. I I would. Here's another book that's got a uh, that's got a car dealer um, as its mm -hmm. as its hero. Uh, Breakfast of Champions. Uh, in there, um, I feel like these these characters, which seem to have some similarities, are are presented with all their flaws, but with some compassion. Uh, with um, yeah, in fact, I end up liking them most of them, most of them, uh, and it's the and it's the art critic uh, that we're that we end up um, sort of despising oh. in the end. But it it's no, it's a um, being from Pennsylvania doesn't mean that he's uh, well. There's two there's two possible explanations. One is uh, you can be projecting. In other words, this is the the nature of the uh, of, of the sort of um, self hate that can come from uh, belonging to a certain class that you no longer want to belong to. You know, the kind of Clarence Thomas um, uh -huh. uh, sort of Antonis Scalia type um, uh -huh. self hate, which you know, which is fairly repellent. But the other part is, uh, you know, he. In, you know, as, as soon as he became 
an adult, well, even as, you know, before, you know, as a, just as a student mm. became, uh, became, I mean, he was in his first year at Harvard, he was rooming with, um, uh, with Lash. Mm. Uh, it was straight into the, you know, the, the heights of, uh, of, um, uh, of a bourgeois liberal, uh, intellectual life. And I, it doesn't seem like he ever left it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think that. Uh, I don't think that that means that you can't ever write about uh, you know the the society that you grew up in ever again. I didn't say anything of the kind. <sighs> what I'm saying is that I pick up a uh, uh, given how uh, how the people are described in such as as huh. being you know as as kind of contemptible characters. Uh, why? Are we dwelling on this? It seems condescending to me. Okay, no, I don't. Uh, you see, I, 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 the problem is that I don't, uh, I don't uh, that he presents them as as they are. Is is it, uh, you know that's uh, that's indisputable. But there's uh, the note of contempt for it that I don't get. Yeah, it's, it seems fairly yeah. obvious to me. I mean, the the presentation of how uh, how um, I mean, I gave you two examples already. Um, huh. But you know, we we present so the, the his his attitude towards his family when uh, when they had a when the, when the father-in-law died um, mm. that it, it, it showed a you yeah, know, but a, a, a uh, you know the contempt that uh, that unloving person uh, that his, his mother-in-law has for his parents. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't imagine that, that would uh, that that would sort of uh, enamor him to. Uh, to to his in-laws much i mean there's uh also if you if you read some of the other books there's a, there's a sort of thing that they that they put up with with harry but they're really not very keen on his parents at all and yeah. uh, they're prepared to criticize his parents to his face well that anyway that maybe that justification uh yeah. follows but the early in the book you've got to i mean have you never had the situation where you get started on a book and you say, I don't like this and stop reading it. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So right. in other words, it's, it's incumbent on the uh, author to, Ooh. to, to, to start out well, or to start out in a way that's going to uh, set the tone or, you know, this is what it's going to be like, or to give you an idea at least. Um, the, and the other part, this, the way uh, his, his, uh, sexist and lustful kind of dirty old man regard for the young woman that comes in mm. uh, is is pretty gross. Um, and then the discussion about uh, the drunken country cub afternoons, mm -hmm. uh, his the way he talks about his wife is uh, is or thinks about his wife is yeah uh, is pretty unpleasant. I, I, how 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 much yeah. further is this going to go? I wonder. Uh, yeah. Do I and I'm how much more of my time do I want to spend in Harry Angstrom's head and, and and who on earth is is trying to get me to have this microscopic detail on, mm. uh, on, on yeah, somebody's that's, defects? That's, that's a point actually because it really is you you are very much inside his yeah. head. Yeah, and it is uh, it is a very good sketch of everything that he's feeling and thinking. Yeah. it's uh, that's and that's that's been. It's been quite well done. Uh, well, I don't know. I think uh, we've made a pretty good case for uh, anybody who hasn't read this book to give it a go for themselves. <laughs> sure thing. You, you can certainly have a go. Now, why do you think that this would be the right place to start with the, uh, with the rabbit stories? Uh, well, Rabbit Run is uh is very much a, a sort of a beginning it's uh it's got some of the great sort of you know long prose passages that we that, that are certainly i love from updike particularly the bit where he gets in his car and uh, and uh, and just keeps driving right at the beginning of the book and gets lost yeah, that's right. Yeah. Has to stop at the gas station and buy roadmaps. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great when he's um, he's driving through the night with the radio on, and 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 then of course ends up back in the town where he's where he started from. 
Uh, yeah, that's good. The thing is, it's not as fast moving. It's a shorter book, but it, it moves a lot slower. Um, it's, <laughs> well, Rabbit is Rich moves extremely slowly. No, oh, it does. I, I don't think it does at all. Oh. I disagree. I think it moves very quickly. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, and uh, Rabbit Redux is is great, but I wouldn't advise reading that as a standalone. Hmm. I think you do need to to know a little bit of the other other backstory to uh, to to really read it. Uh Rabbit Run is the one that you can actually read as a standalone. Okay. And then it, you know if you if you like to get into the into the rest of the books. Um Rabbit at Rest is I think maybe a little it's it's not as good. Oh does it suffer from the fact that it came after Rabbit is Rich, which is so good, so it's not quite. Uh, it, it's not doesn't sort of startle you as much. Maybe, you know, one of the things about all of these books and and uh, and the whole you were talking about how his, his attitude to uh, you know all this uh, the attitude to sex and the attitude to his wife and the attitude to to women in general one of the things that gets uh, the charges that gets thrown at uh, updike a lot of the time is misogyny mm-hmm. and um it's interesting because one of the things that goes runs through all of these books is one simple truth which is that uh, men are doomed because women can change men can't change and that's actually what kills them and what stops them in their tracks or, or leaves them stuck in a certain place and women can change and adapt and that's why they keep going on and you think that's what these books say yeah. Mm. If you look at uh, what happens to Janice, she goes from, from uh, in the first book, having a drinking problem, eventually accidentally killing their daughter, um, to, in the second book, running off and having, having an affair with, uh, with somebody from her from a father's work, um, and then eventually deciding to, to, uh, to, to go back to Harry. And uh, then in the third book... Uh, she, you know, Harry throws her this bombshell. When you say right, women gonna... and men, are you tell, uh, do you say that the, in this sen- in the sense that that Harry and Janice are avatars of their sex? They're sort of like representatives of. <sighs> because I mean, they're rather mean, particular avatars? people. Well, what I mean is. Uh, when you say you were talking about women and men, okay, in general, women can change. Well, in, well, in, yeah, in, I suppose. In in, in or a, are we just talking a, about these two individual characters? I think avatars of their sex is taking it a bit too far, Tom. But um, I think maybe maybe the different different women would act in different ways faced with some of these situations. But uh, but the the keynote, the thing that's always there, is that Janice adapts, Janice changes. The next the, the next book, Harry's going to die of a heart attack because he can't actually change his eating and physical habits at all. Janice has. You know, uh, is just trying to get him to adapt to 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 change and everything, and he he just he can't cope with that. So eventually, he he dies of a heart attack. The, in the final novella, she's actually uh, married uh, Harry's old teammate. She she's changed again. She's sold that house that they've that they bought, uh, and uh, moved somewhere else. Yeah, I'd gotten the. You know, she. I, I think she. Uh, the, also in the in the in the in Rabbit at Rest, she she ends up uh, doing her real estate license. You know, the see, she's stuff. Stuff gets thrown at her, and she changes. Right. And Harry has a problem with all of the changes. Yes, and and you get that early on, even in uh, Rabbit Run, you get mm. the impression that he might try to change 
but he can't. He's but he, well. He's the, the, the whole point is he leaves the town. He goes off on this on this wild journey through the night, trying to get away from everything. He ends up back in the town. Yes. And not only that, he knocks on the door of his old basketball coach. Yes, and I. So my, it's it's completely regressive. Right, and what I'm saying is that this struck struck me not as a way of describing men in general, but as a way of describing rabbit. No, oh, I think it, I think it's uh, I honestly, yeah, I think Some guilty as charged, man Tom. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, well in which, right, in which right. case, well, maybe listen. I'll maybe I'll go along with the notion that John Updike is being um, is is kind of unfashionable now. I think I think this is there's there's a little more variety among uh, men and women than that. Well, maybe we uh, we actually now come back to a short conversation which we had off camera, or so to speak, or off microphone, when you were saying that uh, that I am very attached to things from earlier on, mm. and uh, no, actually it was the st- it was at the start of this discussion, which yeah. lies some distance in the past now, that uh, that I was very attached to things from earlier on, and you ruthlessly excised them from your life. Oh, many things, yes. And uh, and so maybe maybe I'm somebody who can't change. Maybe I'm doomed. Maybe. Well, I mean, yeah. we're certainly all doomed. Um, yeah, I know we're all doomed, but maybe I'm doomed a bit more than everybody else. Well, absolutely. I'll hold my hands up at this point. Guilty as charged. All right. Well, um, right. that's a... That's... <laughs> I w- you're charging yourself, you know. That's that's that's. Oh yeah, your, yeah. That, but that's um, your... maybe that's why this book appeals to me, Tom. Possibly. Maybe I've just had a sudden flash of self-revelation, <laughs> self-recognition. I mean, yes, <laughs> yes. And John Updike kept writing the same book for forty years. <laughs> no, I don't think that. It was a joke. I, yeah, there's, uh, it, well, maybe he finds different ways to do it. But I, uh, you know, uh, he wrote a lot. I, if I, I found a, to be perfectly honest, quite a, lot of, never... quite a lot of good artists and writers have basically done the same thing over and over. It's, mm. it's okay. That's, if, you, if you can manage even one good book, that's, that's fine. Yeah. I don't know. I like the way that the the, the whole um, tetralogy or something, uh, the whole collection of books finishes with uh, with with us finding out that actually that girl in Rabbit is Rich is his illegitimate daughter, mm. and uh, and she ends up getting very badly insulted by uh, by Ronnie, uh, Janice's new husband. Uh, and uh, who takes her takes her out and comforts her and uh, and sort of tries to patch everything up and tries to tries to make her feel that she is part of the family is, is Nelson, and so he leaves it on this wonderful optimistic note that maybe the next generation might not do so badly. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing starts so catastrophically. You know, yeah, in, in, well, as, as you know, I'm. Uh, I Gasting. suppose I am a an optimist. Yeah, in some ways. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I absolutely break a lance for this book. I think it. Uh, if you if you look at when it comes out, it foretells a whole lot of what's coming in the future. It's. Uh, Ugh, read it. Read it for the language. Read it for the for the use of of words and rhythm. And I'm God. It's Clay, good. You know. Um, yeah. If you yes. I mean, there are there are books. If that you I like use. that sort of thing, that's what you were about to say, wasn't it? Well, you, no. Actually, what I want what I wanted to what I wanted to get at was there are books that I enjoy for the language. Um, mm. You know, for example, I'm I'm doing the Satanic Verses now. Mm. Um, you know, there there are there are there are other things to read, um, and it's a fun book. It's it's very funny. Mm. Uh, I don't know why I skipped that over uh, years ago, but yeah, the language is 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 really it's just entertaining um, mm. as, as it goes. I thought, as I said earlier, 
most of what what's presented in um, Rabbit Run is is doesn't really have that language entertainment going on. There are moments, but mm. it's not it's not that kind of book. It's relatively plainly done. Mm. I, I mean, you selected see, a couple of nice passages to read for us, and I agree that those are good. Yeah, there there may be uh, and there there may be passages that you wouldn't um, you wouldn't sort of notice. I mean, okay, the end of the book, yeah, that's that's just that's just pure virtuosity. But the but the other passage where he's where he's lying in bed, that's the sort of thing that you would just sort of read and skip over, and uh, you wouldn't kind of uh, wouldn't notice it, maybe. Maybe not. But uh, yeah, well, when you've read it as much as I have, you do start to notice these things. <laughs> yeah, I've always, um, I, I've, funnily enough, I've ended up giving it to uh, quite a few girls to read. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and how did that work out? Uh, pretty well, actually. I remember one of them handing. <laughs> Handing me, handing me it back with the, uh, and she noticed uh, this. There's one of the uh, sex scenes early on, uh, one of the sort of first attempts of uh, of of Harry to to make love to his wife, where there's a sentence in it which said, "His feet emit a sad odor." Which is <laughs> oh God. <laughs> And you see, I hadn't, I hadn't noticed that, but uh, yeah, uh, I think a lot of women recognised that kind of uh, that kind of male thinking. Actually, I think a couple of a couple of my friends said that they they sort of, you know, recognised the the sort of thought patterns, or they'd always imagined that 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 would be what it would be like. <laughs> There you go. There's some use for the book. Mm. So inside the inside the thoughts of a man, yeah. Mm. Uh, there's another thing to complain about. Actually, I don't necessarily want this. Uh, um, oh. You know, this generalization to be applied to me that the way Harry Angstrom thinks when he looks around at the world is uh, mm. is the way I do. Now I've got I've got a completely different turmoil going on. Mm. <laughs> Often not not thinking at all about what I'm looking at, just not at all. Thank you.